This episode has been sponsored by MapHook. And welcome to the gray area where I dispense advice and give interviews on relationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 29th episode in a weekly series called DDO Intro. Last week's episode was a discussion with Dave, Josh, and Tinzian about SWTOR, Dragon Age 2 Legacy, and WoW the Firelands. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and tell me your story. Today is Sunday, August 7th, and today I speak with Anne and Siegfried, hosts of the podcast DDO Cast. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Howdy. Hi. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, before we get started, let's do news of the week. News of the week. Max Payne 3 was released for PS3 with an average score of 9. The indie game Limbo was released August 2nd. It's a dark, shadow-filled RPG that's definitely one to watch if you enjoy the unease of Silent Hill or the feel of Bioshock, which it kind of reminds me of both of those. It combines a strangely beautiful art style with a lot of dark, near-death experiences, but it's supposed to be very engaging and it's getting a lot of really good reviews. Dablu 3 fans protest the always online feature that requires players, even in single player mode, to always be online and connected to Battle.net. 2700 comments later, despite Blizzard's explanations, they are not happy. And I personally think that Blizzard will lose a lot of buyers who would have bought this game, like certain college students I know right now who are protesting that, who have a slow connection, and those who aren't MMO players to begin with and probably don't have a faster connection. But I understand the decision, and I think with so many who already play WoW and fans like that, I suspect that this aspect won't be changed, and it's pretty indicative of how all games are going to be in the future. So unfortunately, I think we're going to have to get used to it. As something completely unrelated, but I feel newsworthy, I watched the new Thundercats premiere last week, and it was completely amazing, especially since I have fond memories of the old show and was excited to see it come back. However, this week's regularly lengthed episode was really not good. Um, it was bad story acting, and it didn't make a lot of sense, like someone maybe cut 10 minutes off the time and then tried to show it. So I'm very disappointed, and I hope it improves quickly, or I think it will die death here very soon. Do you guys ever watch that show? Uh, when I was a kid, yeah, I used to see Thundercats at the Babysitters. Ah, okay. Yeah, the Cartoon Network has resurrected it and made it sort of anime style. And it's pr- pretty well drawn, actually, I think. Um, and the first one was good, but this one was not, so so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> That's the major news of the week. It's kind of slow on that front. Um, I'm just preparing for Dragon Con, getting ready for Run Fair next week, and messing with some Steam games that I usually talk about. So how about you two? What is your news of the week? Uh, I've been playing my retro games kick lately, and I just finished Siberia 2 um, because it was on Steam, so I downloaded that. Um, uh. And also, uh, I got a QuakeCon pack 2011. For some reason, Sig on his Steam, it was discounted by about $10, so I forced him to gift it to me. <laughs> nice. I, I did see something about that. What's in that pack? Um, basically, it's got... Everything from uh, includes 34 items, Brink, Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth, 
Commander King, Doom 3, Doom 3, Resurrection, Resurrection of Evil, Doom 2, Fallout 3, Game of the Year Edition, Fallout New Vegas, Dead Money, New Fallout New Vegas, Honest Hearts, and Fallout, uh, just tons. Wow. It's like old state, all the way from Quake uh, through Quake 4. It, that even That's not out yet, but it's included in the pack as well. And then, um, oh, oh yeah, then there's Oblivion. Uh, I love that game. <laughs> I'm so playing I, that right now. I have to play it again and again and again. It's like, okay, Skyrim's out. I have to start over again. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm hoping to prep for the new Skyrim release by going back and playing some of the old ones. And it seems like it could go on forever. I mean, yeah. I, I don't see an end to this so far. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I'm enjoying myself. Good, good. How about you, Siegfried? Uh, yeah, I'm also succumbing to Steam sales. So, yeah, for 50 <laughs> bucks, you get, you know, more games than I'll ever play. I mean, I won't play most of those, but uh, there are a few I wanted, and so if I spent 10 bucks more, I got a ridiculous amount of other stuff, so thought, hey, why not? Um, yeah, I played a little bit of Oblivion. You know, the thing I love about their, those games, they're always kind of flawed in, in some ways, but they really give you that sense of wandering around and kind of immersive role-playing and encourage you to decide, you know, my character wants to go do this, and that's what he's all about, and say, and then you can go do that, and the game lets you, you know, kind of sandbox in any way you like. Uh, it's where most role-playing games, you know, they have usually stronger stories, and, and they're a little better directed, and uh, they have less weird things out in the corner somewhere that don't make any sense, but you, you always feel like, you know, this is the storyteller's story that I'm in, and those games encourage you to be yourself, so I like them. Nice. I actually yeah. read something about vampirism. I was researching this, and I thought, what? I can be a vampire in Oblivion? Nothing is, is off the table, really, in that game. Yeah, it's yeah, it's great. I mean, I played it through before, so this time I decided I'm not going to do the story unless my character's motivation makes him feel that way. So I'm just kind of wandering around. I made a wizard, and he wants to be a powerful wizard, so that's his goal. For me, yeah. it's the thrill of shopping with endless gold. You know? <laughs> in life, you never get that joy, but in in role playing games, especially, you know, you can you can go around and just a thousand shops with different items and equip your guy however you want, and all the rest of that. Yeah, I, I like doing that in uh, MMOs. One of the reasons I play them is is to I don't know buy, trade, sell things uh, uh, without much consequence, right? There you go. Do you two play together any games? Yeah, when we play MMOs, that's almost exclusively together. Um, oh. Occasionally, you know, somebody will be really busy and the other, will, you know, just has a Jones in for it. But we usually play those together. We'll play Civilization 2 and uh, co-op shooter games like um, Gears of War, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, okay. Civilization 5 is our latest thing that we were playing. Um, and we were trouncing the rest of the world. And that's always a nice thing to do together. <laughs> nice. So do you wait? Now, here's the question. Do you wait and only play together and have your people that play together? Or I, I find that I get into situations because I play a lot with Tinsy. And, and it's more maybe an MMO thing than it is necessarily like an RP thing. But, uh, you know, one person always plays a little more than the other. And you'll get on and were you playing without me? Were you leveling without me? You know, you get into that. I don't know if it applies to civilization, because I guess you have to kind of play together, but <laughs> do you have that issue? Yeah, I guess a little bit. Um, you know, more like one of us will get really busy, and the other will be a little jealous, maybe, that the other one gets to play a lot, and uh, they have to work, right? So that could be a, a problem. But you, in MMOs, I tend to make a lot of characters, so I always have a character at any given level. We we tend to miss, we'll make the characters together, but then they'll kind of drift apart and we'll mix match again on the next characters that we make. So we usually always have someone we can play with each other. 
Yeah, variety is really the key to that because if if you try to like have a set time and pace it with a, in a busy schedule, it's just not going to happen, and you're just setting yourself up for like disappointment and and, and spousal abuse. But <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but having a variety of characters lets us, you know play when we want to when we want to and then when we do happen to have that synchronicity happening we can we can come together and we can play together and we have a a number of selection of characters to do it with so good planning ahead it's always good to have a, a geeky gamer kind of significant other because you always have someone who's excited about the same things that you are which is a bonus i think um, definitely Share with me your experiences about Dungeons and Dragons Online. Uh, tell the listeners what that is, if you could, and then why that became your game of choice. Sure, I can start with that. Um, well, I've played Dungeons and Dragons since I was a little kid, so I've always played the the tabletop role playing game, and I've played not every Dungeons and Dragons game that's ever come out, but probably a significant percentage of them. Um, you know, from early ones on Texas Instruments computers and Atari game systems up to you know Dungeons and Dragons Online and, and newer games. So I just have a long history with that. I know the game really well. I write for it uh, occasionally and uh, know a lot of people who write the game. So uh, it's just sort of been a big part of my life. So Dungeons & Dragons Online came came around. I started playing online role-playing games pretty early on from some MUDs and then to Ultimate Online and uh, EverQuest and so on and so forth. Uh, okay. The, the things I really like about it, uh, aside from the fact that it's familiar to me and you know kind of my territory, is that it um, character building is kind of a complex process, and there's a lot of choices you can make. You can mix and match classes in any way you like, and pick different races and combinations, and control all their statistics, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of uh, what you would call building. I play a lot of games where you build things, build decks, build sets of things, build characters. Um, so I just really enjoy that strategic before you play the game aspect and how you develop your characters. So that's a big part of it. And the other is that I really burned out on the traditional MMO model of I got my character, I stand somewhere near my monster, I don't really have to even look at them, and I click a series of hotbar buttons over and over and over again until they die, and then I find the next group, or I wait until that group comes back again, and I repeat this process. I literally fell asleep playing EverQuest 2 uh, uh-huh. a few too many times and um, just had to stop. But Dungeons & Dragons Online, uh, you know, you really couldn't play it with a bot because everything's always moving around and it matters where you're looking and you have to chase things down and they hop away from you and hide behind columns and dodge out and shoot things at you and and so you have to constantly be moving and reacting to the environment in order to play so it keeps me focused and interested you can still get to where you know if you're overpowering everything you just sort of stroll through the dungeon without paying much attention but I try to avoid that Um, and yeah it just really keeps me engaged and, and interested because it requires paying attention. It tends to be a little weak in the in the side of like if you really like role playing within your games, it doesn't have a lot of additional facilities for that, not a lot of emotes, not a lot of, you know, interesting you can't make your own houses and things uh. like that. So it's not really a game where you sort of get to express your creativity a lot. And generally you're not going to dress your character beyond I'm going to use whatever the best items I can find are. So it lacks that, which is something I enjoy, and I've enjoyed in other games. But um, for just fighting and making characters and being strategic and getting into the game elements of the game, I find it it's a really rich experience. How about you, Anne? Um, for me, it's uh, Dungeons & Dragons Online. I, I, I've been playing... It, 
again, it, I pretty much have a similar history to SIG. So, like, since I was 14, I've been playing the tabletop games with 2nd Edition and then 3.5 and then four, back all the way to 4E and then back again to 3.5. So it's it's pretty much encased into my life. And um, where he does writing in, in Dungeons & Dragons, I, I do web layouts, graphics design, and um, uh, desktop publishing, laying out the books and whatnot. For Dungeons & Dragons Online, I really... I like the fact that I have to pay attention again, so I guess we're kind of similar that way. And um, I, I can't do slash follow and <laughs> and 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 then just do a bunch of buttons and, and and attack pass through attacking, which was really big in some of the other MMOs. Um, so, but I also love building my characters and just seeing them come through. You know, growing up. It, because uh, I'm really big into multiclassing, so okay. and being able to to plan out things in addition to picking what levels and picking uh, what gear would would work well with that build and watching it go through is is pretty kind of um, leveling is more meaningful in, in that respect, and that's why I play DDO a lot. So um, yeah, I want to go. Onto the uh, the tabletop gaming aspect, but I want to save that for a little bit later. Um, with 110,000 players, it seems like it could be a more intimate game than, say, like a WoW or a Rift, because it seems like a smaller core of players. Do you find you get to know a lot of people around the server? Is it different than, than other games you've played in that way? Yeah, I, it is, because you get to see regulars a lot. So it's like, hey, it's you. And, and when you do a pickup group, it's... You, you recognize people and their characters and I guess because of that it's a smaller community and you're kind of more familiar with each other and in in a sense that you can kind of build up trust and uh. in the opposite direction you have you know infamy <laughs> so you, you you tend to like oh I've played with you before um, uh. I, I think I'm busy <laughs> yeah I was wondering about that because I think that that I've seen kind of a definite shift in kind of the feel of friendliness in some MMOs as they get larger because people assume like anonymity they can be jerks if they want or whatever and it's not going to ever come back to haunt them but I wondered in a smaller platform if people would would kind of go back to the more traditional helpful attitude or if it, <laughs> if they would go for the infamy and everyone hates you scenario. Well it, it depends I mean like so far what I've experienced is everybody's really cordial you know like even though there's like that one person in the group people will try to push through you know and try to finish the quest but next time around they'll maybe a little bit reluctant to like get the odd man out you know uh. but but then again people form these cliques and they it's easier to find people who are like you whether you're a zerger or a role player or a permadeather so it's easier to find other people who are like you and and your play style so okay yeah, I would add that uh, one of the things that makes the DDO community a little distinct from other games like World of Warcraft or EverQuest is the age of the players tends to be a little bit on the older end, partly because it's based on a, you know, a property that's had fans for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I think partly the nature of the game attracts a slightly older audience. So with that comes, uh, you know, both a good thing, which is a higher level of maturity, a little less tantrums, a little less <laughs> drama, you know. They've been there. They've done that. They know how to avoid it, and so it's it's. But you also get a little less enthusiasm, and maybe a little less like, yeah, hey, come on and join. We're gonna do the thing, and it a little bit more like, you know, I'm not sure I want to deal with uh, 
<laughs> with new people right now. I think I just want my <laughs> friends, and we're going to go. So it's a little more insular, maybe, if you're new to the game and getting in there, a little harder to find your group. Uh, but when you do find people, they're going to be a little older and a little less volatile, you might say. <laughs> you know, it's like the the standard, you know, a lot of games, you have the you know, DPK systems, or you've got all kinds of things to right. distribute loot. The The standard mantra in DDO is, if it's in your box, it's yours, right? If you want to give it away, you can. Otherwise, you know, your pull, your loot. And, you know, you just don't worry about it, because well, that's fine. It's just a game. So you get a little bit more of a relaxed attitude, I think, about things. Even among the people who are really strong, dedicated players, they tend to be pretty pretty chill about it. Mm, that's yeah. nice. Nice change. I'd like to add that um, it's it's interesting, but I think this is the first MMO where I've encountered, like, whole families mm. within groups. And so that you'd have a, a mom and a dad and two kids all in one group in DDO playing together or in a raid or something or in a guild. So it, it's, it's, and it's cool because they kind of work with each other and, and hearing them like be a team and playing together as a family, you know, it's like, hey, it's in an MMO, but not, you know, instead of like a ball game in real life <laughs> or a soccer field game, you know, whatever. Right, right. Let's go raid tonight. That's kind of neat. Tell me more about Kenneth Crafting, which I've been reading about um, in your blog, Anne. It's kind of unprecedented as a live beta test. I understand that you're part of this very small closed beta. Could you tell me about this crafting system and why it's so rare for an MMO to do a test like this? Well, um, for me, what I've I've been playing MMOs for over 10 years now, and usually they don't announce a live beta. You know, it's like, yeah, we know we're pushing this to the live and we know it's a beta and it will change. You know, that they were very frank about that, which was kind of refreshing. So it, it means that it means that people can come in, experiment, try things out, and then give feedback and and you can kind of trust that other people will listen to you, like the the developers and the producers. Uh. So and and which is a kind of a good thing in a way, because then you're you're not only building a product from from the developer's standpoint, but you're building a product as a community with with the with the players and your customers, quote unquote. Does the oh, community have a good um I guess rapport in that they're giving creative feedback and good feedback? Because in my experience, usually the only time people give feedback about something is when they hate it and it's they think it sucks. Like are they giving good you know, this would be a good idea. Oh, I like this part, do this more, you know. Is it that sort of feedback as well, or are people just kind of ripping it apart? Um, a lot of times people I mean like of course most of the feedback is like I hate it. <laughs> but but there will be um I think there are a surprising number of what I call um gems, you know, like gem beta testers, which uh they'll they'll give their feedback both positive and negative and give you like specifications and details. <laughs> you mm. know. You know and um and uh with this particular MMO I, I haven't seen it anywhere else you know and so I'm kind of pleased and I'm very happy <laughs> to have such a community like that and um, but in general you do get a lot more I, I guess complainers people who don't give beyond the useful feedback you know and, and uh, constructive criticism that will help towards pushing the game forward I, I guess it's normal for any MMO game or whatever because people are customers first and and then and then they they kind of change through time and how much they want to invest into the game, I guess. So. I 
One one thing that DDO has that's a little unique as far as the community is you have your kind of school of uh, the old school role players who are playing the game despite it it being significantly different in rules than the game. But every time something comes out from Turbine, their complaint is this isn't how it works in the role playing game. And uh, <laughs> in the so, good old days, we used to do it like this. Exactly. Uh, so there's that faction, which pretty much you can predict exactly what they're going to say anytime anything happens. So. Um, but, you know, the nature of an online multiplayer game is just different than sitting with your friends at a tabletop, so the game's going to be different. Uh, I just like, you know, so long as it sticks to the spirit of the game and the general nature of the rules, that's great. Uh, yeah, the the crafting system, I, I like the quote from one of the developers, is uh, they said that we're not the first ones to release uh, a beta uh, system into an online live game. We're just the first ones who admitted it. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> nice, very nice. I played DDO briefly. It was quite a few years ago. A, a good friend of mine, Dex from the Broken Alliance Guild, is really into the game. I mean, he runs his own guild. He harvests the Shroud Dungeon twice a week, all of that. So Tinsy and I got a one-month subscription, and we tried it out. I picked a monk, which I think was an unfortunate choice for me because I was kind of coming from a World of Warcraft dual-wielding rogue class background, and I did actually equip daggers on the monk and then wondered why he sucked for about an hour. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it was frustrating me that I I was kind of used to being handheld. Like, here's the first quest, and you move to the next quest giver, and the next quest giver, and it didn't seem in that years ago section that I knew what I was doing. So I was kind of wandering around town, just picking up quests and wandering around until I kind of ran into a dungeon and and did that a few times. But it didn't make sense to me as a game and. I didn't understand what the scrolling numbers meant or what the monk class was. That being said, this game was actually the gateway for me to get into pencil and paper Dungeons and Dragons. I wanted to understand what all this was, so I kind of got my first group and I ended up running a campaign because of this. And now several years later, I'm doing fourth edition and I have some of that under my belt. So I wonder if I should give it another try. How long have you played pencil and paper? And do you think that having that background added anything to your experience in in DDO? Yeah, I've been played about uh, 30, eh, 25 to 30 years or so, uh, so a long time. Uh, off and on, I mean, you know, not there are years where I didn't play a lot of Dungeons & Dragons and others where I played a bunch. So, um, yeah, kept coming in, I knew the rules. One of the things I like about the game is in a lot of games, you don't know what the rules of the game are. You don't really know what your statistics do or why having a high strength gives you more damage or how much damage it gives you. But in DDO, you can look all those up because they're based on the, the game of the rule, uh, the rules of the actual game itself and the books. And so coming in, knowing all the rules for the, this version of Dungeons and Dragons that the game's based on, you know, I understood what kind of characters I could make and what my options were. There were a lot of new options and things that worked slightly differently, you know, the difference between a turn-based and a real-time kind of a game. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had a good grasp of if I make a strong fighter, this is the kind of character I will end up having. Or if I make a fighter, magic user, cleric, this is the kind of character that I would end up playing. As where people who are new to the game and don't know the D&D system are faced with a huge range of options and um, not very much guidance unless they really like reading books or <laughs> manuals to figure out exactly what that is. Um, the fans of the game are really industrious about sharing that knowledge. There's a lot of character builders, and there are. I do a request to build where new players to the game. They're like, I want a character like this, and then so I tell them how to achieve that mechanically in the game. What they, what choices they need to make to get to their kind of conceptual goal. 
Um, so there's a lot of people willing to help out new players. And if you're new to the game and it's kind of confusing, the best thing to do is to seek out some advice. It really makes a big difference. And then you go, oh, now I see. And eventually you, you just internalize it and you get used to it. But it's definitely not for people who just kind of want to, you know, jump on and do some questing and explore and not have to think a lot about the game rules. I mean, you can do that. They have pre-made sort of character paths that you can follow, which are pretty pretty decent. But you know, all the experienced players will poo-poo them and go, "Well, those are okay if you're if you're no, if you don't really want to be good at the game." You yeah. know, <laughs> so you, you get a little derision for choosing <laughs> the easy path. And and I think that's always been a problem for the game. It was a big barrier to entry before when they lowered the price to free. Well, that that lowered that barrier a little bit, and more people were willing to put in some. You know, some time as well as some money in order to figure it out. How about you, Anne? Do you have to have knowledge of the pencil and paper, do you feel, to really play DDO well? Like, tell me more about that part. Well, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for 20 years myself as well, so I've been trying to think about it. And I guess, I guess that is a barrier. I mean, it, it was, it was definitely easier to play the game knowing what I know about 3.5. So if, if coming into a system where I don't know what what's going on, what the numbers mean, and how they affect my gameplay, and and what all the different rules for all the different classes and, and, and races, then I think it could be harder for people to get to get in and, and just roll and play, especially if you're the explorer type of player. So it, people who just want to, ex- to have an experience, but no, who aren't really so much focused on their character, but more of what their character is doing and within the context of the world. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I would agree with it. So, okay, it does yeah. seem like a, a different sort of game. I think you could easily assume that it's just like all the other MMOs you've played, where you can kind of drop in and just, you know, follow the the flashing exclamation points. But it, it does seem like a different game than that, and, and that's neat that it has that strategy aspect. I think. You know, I'd hate to discourage people from trying out the game to, to say that you need to know how to play D&D on tabletop. That's definitely not the case, but you have to want to learn the rules of the game if you really want to get full enjoyment out of it. You have to be the sort of person that likes to learn and master games, uh, because that's kind of where a lot of its joy is. Um, I think if you just like to explore and be in an immersive fantasy world, some of the other games just do a better job of that. There are a lot of people that do like um, the spreadsheets and um, different websites, like for WoW, it would be like the latest jerks, um, where they, you know, go extensively into how to build your character, what this particular um, tree will do for you. You know, this is, there are people that definitely enjoy that. So I think that, that that's kind of a niche maybe for those people. It sounds like what you're saying is, you know, the people that are more into the, the building details and the strategy aspect of it and, and stuff like that. So that's good to know yeah. before you jump in and, and have that. Yeah, I mean, its other benefit is that just sort of freedom of movement. And, you know, sometimes I'll log into the game just to jump on buildings, as silly as that sounds. Um, but it's because you have that, you can jump on anything that you can reach and you can kind of zoom around and crawl into places that you can crawl into and run around. Uh, it just it has a kind of a, a freedom of movement and a freedom of um, visceral experience, right? It, just, it feels a little more like people will compare it more to Diablo than to to a... a 
a traditional MMO in the way it feels to fight and to move around in the world. And the dungeons are very interactive. There's lots of levers to pull and gates that move and things that change and, you know, stuff that appears and walls that are destroyed. And, and it has a, a kind of an interactive, more arcade feel to it that, uh, that I enjoy a lot. I would say those are, that's the other thing that makes it a little unusual and uh, worth playing. I do remember that. I think there were things bursting out of the walls that really surprised me and stuff like that. So that's good um, that, you, that you're engaged in the game and, uh, like you said, not just running around uh, on autofollow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tinsian and I have another podcast called Death Before Dishonor, where we play a weekly game of D&D and podcast it. And it's been pretty fun. We're actually looking for other players in the future, but I really do love the game, and I'm glad that I had the opportunity to kind of get to to move towards that pencil and paper and it was it was good that this was sort of my my gateway gateway drug to pencil and paper (laughs) yeah live role-playing is a pretty fantastic experience it's just a great meeting of the minds you know as i like to say and um it's just really rewarding let's move on to the podcast i understand jerry was the original host how did you discover it and become active as listeners and can i just say crunchy bits Yeah, um, I don't remember when I first started listening to the podcast. I've always liked podcasts in general as an idea and a medium. So, uh, yeah, when there was a DDO one, I listened to that. And then, like I said, I tended to do builds on the forums, like character builds. Here's how to level your character to achieve a certain result. Um, just because I like rules mongering, I guess. So I did a segment called Crunchy Bits. And its main purpose was to actually explain the game rules to people. Like, what a... What, does your armor class do and how does it work and how is it determined and so on and so forth so i would give these long dry explanations they're all pre-scripted so that they would be precise and then i would read them in my i don't know a slightly monotone hyperactive kind of tone i always thought people would hate the segment right that that people would be interested in the information but they would quickly glaze over and get bored but um i you know i don't know it it just seemed droning to me it was like i wouldn't want to listen to this i don't (laughs) <laughs> when I first heard myself, I'm like, yeah, man, that's just really... But uh, people got into it. They really liked it. And there wasn't a lot of that available in the podcast. It was a little bit more social and and, uh, and that sort of thing. So it became a pretty popular segment. And I actually took a, a break from the game for about a year. They had a, a dearth of content for a while. There wasn't much to do. So I just played other games for a while. I kept my subscription. And uh, when I came back, and then I played a bunch for uh, you know another year or so, and, and Jerry... Uh, got a job at Turbine, uh, which I think he'd been seeking for a while. Um, So they picked him up as a community relations specialist. And uh, at that point, he couldn't run the show anymore. Apparently, there's a lot of licensing issues with running Dungeons & Dragons online. And you have to get permission for everything anybody does that's an employee of the company to some extent. Mm -hmm. And so he really couldn't do a podcast in any realistic way because the script had to be approved by Turbine and then it had to be approved by Wizards of the Coast and it had to be approved by Atari before he could ever say a word, right? Understood. I've run into that quite a lot with people who want to talk about games that they can't. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, he just couldn't do it anymore. And... um, yeah, he was going to leave, and you know, we kind of wrestled with the idea: do we have the stamina to do a weekly podcast? It's a lot of uh, commitment, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And um, but eventually, we just decided that yeah, it would be fun. And there's two of us. There was only one of him. I don't know how he really managed it, but uh, but Anne, you know, handles the technical side of the show and uh, does a lot of the work with the um, writing up, not the scripts, but you know, kind of our outlines and things like that. And uh, I, I throw my hand into the outlines and I talk. <laughs> and and I you know obsess over the game mechanics and then together we we make a podcast. 
How did you get chosen? This is for you, Siegfried. How did you guys get chosen from all the active listeners? Did you have some sort of a, did you have a contest? Did he talk to you just because you were already doing crunchy bits? How did that come about? Uh, we just volunteered. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we participated in the show over the years. Like I did commercials and things. Uh, I have a Sean Connery accent I do. And so we did some <laughs> commercials for that. We just participated in the show from time to time. And um, I don't, I think he approached a couple people. He approached Anne because he knows behind the scenes she does a lot of the actual work uh, for the stuff we do. So, um, and that's, you know, really in the end, a podcast is as much about work as it is inspiration, right? So, um, so he talked to her and then we just talked to each other and decided to go ahead. I don't think anyone else volunteered, to be honest. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. What's it like taking the helm of a show that's pretty much off the ground and running and making that transition? I assume he. He was already at a hundred something episodes, wasn't he? So it's probably a long running tradition at that point. Yeah, he was closing in on two hundred. Oh my um, goodness! So one of the reasons we did is we're like, well, we got to do it to that two hundredth show at least, right? <laughs> we got to do that um, just for the for the honor of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I think it's a, <clears throat> pardon me. It's a lot easier, generally speaking, to take over a show that already exists. I was talking to a friend of mine who was thinking about getting into podcasting, and he's like, you know, there's already a show for everything I'm interested in, and, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to get an audience at first, and this and that. Taking over a show that's got a built-in audience, and it's got, you know, almost 200 episodes, and it has a purpose, and it has a built-in community, I think that, you know, that takes away half the work of if you want to have a fairly popular podcast. So... That makes it easy. We just kind of picked up the reins and did what Jerry did, and then our own personality and style, you know, formed. Uh, it's a different. It's a little bit of a different show than it was, um, but you know, a lot of the ideas are the same. We. It's mostly about news for the game, what's going on, and news for the community. What are people doing in the game? That's kind of interesting. Um, and then under you know our helm, it has a little bit more. Um, tutoring on how to play the game and how things work in the game and that sort of thing and strategy for the game um just because that's more our focus and it has a little bit less kind of social stuff and um uh i don't know role playing i think not so much because of us as hosts but because of the people we know in the game who we invite on the show tend to be a little less of the the social sphere and a little bit more of the kind of uh, gamer sphere i don't know okay <laughs> the to crunch that. sphere i call it the crunch, the crunch sphere <laughs> what would you say to that Anne? Well, um, he left it. He got hired at one at episode one ninety two, and um, really, he approached me and was hoping that I would volunteer because I do have radio background, so I know about audio and I know about all the technical aspects and how to produce a show, and um, and and it was like it, it took us a while to figure out how to it, do we really want to do this? We'll take two of us. It's like every week, and I'm like, and like, would it be fun? You know, kind of a thing. And and really, we we took that leap because because of all this history that Jerry built up before us. It's just like he he did most of the work, and 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 really we we're we're thankful for it because he he we it's sort of like a hub now because we get to meet different people. We get to get to get to contact with Turbine and the developers, and and really just just that contact with other people and the diversity of people is is really been the fun part for me and and then of course I get to do my little fiddly bits like working with the website and working with the audio and I guess uh I I want to keep on going but then there's sometimes it's like wow this is really long how can we how long can we keep on going because because um 
one of our um, segment people decided he's he's done. He's going to move on. And it's like, no, oh, I don't yeah. want to go. It, I'm so sad. It's, it's like, a pirate guy. What's his name? I can't remember. <laughs> it, it's uh, Skaggy the Poet. Skaggy the Poet, yeah. Yeah, and he he did his last um, segment. And, and it just realized to me, it's like people people sometimes need to move on and and i it's like oh i'm so sad but <laughs> but i i have to keep on going because i'm i'm having fun and that's and that's the most important part so i guess this is like a hobby for me all all the organizing all the website stuff all all the audio and all the research that i do that that part is really fun for me and i'm not a very good speaker so that's why i make him do it <laughs> so cuz i'm kind of I'm kind of a shy person when it comes to like uh, talking because I say a lot of ums and ahs and I I kind of stutter because I I can't my thoughts can't reach reach my voice fast enough or they're not synchronized so I have to like think about it before I talk. This is but, um, why one is an editor. That's the only reason that I edit my own show because I can get rid of all that stuff that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it's the same thing with me. It's like oh, I can get rid of my ums and ahs. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> So, but yeah, I guess it's a labor of love, as as I like to put it, and I, I can I can probably see myself going for a very long time on the show. So, <clears throat> one of the great things about DDO Cast is it's kind of a community show, and it's a, both the way Jerry did it and the way that we do it. Anybody who wants to be on the show just has to send us some audio of something, and we'll generally put it on, unless the audio quality is really terrible, like there's lots of cracking and hissing, and you know we don't want to torture our audience but other than that uh we're not gonna usually even judge what we think is the the quality of your segment so long as it's amusing and it sounds pretty good audio wise we'll put it on the show and if you want to be a guest on the show and hang out with us eh, you just gotta send us a an email and say you want to do that and generally we'll say yeah come on board and um so it's pretty open that way i definitely want to talk about segments in a little while as well which i think is kind of a neat unique aspect of things. Um, but I want to continue talking about what you said where you, you were mentioning that it was pretty much already built for you and you felt like it was an easy, easy thing to kind of pick up having an already pre-built audience and, and a hub already there. But I would say that that's, that's true, but you also have the opposite flip side where I'm just thinking of like the instance where Randy left and several other times where people have changed over. If people are really attached to a certain podcast and especially a certain uh, host, there can be some serious reactions when that person leaves and they turn the boat over to somebody else. And even though in time, most people come to love the new podcast, there's definitely, it seems like a, a reaction when that happened. Did you guys face anything like that when the transition was going on? Uh, I think we've been, exceptionally lucky. I would expect that sort of thing. But as of yet, I, you know, and I'm, I'm rather stunned about this, actually. I have not received a single email complaining about anything um, or any negative comment about anything on the show, which, honestly, I was really surprised. Um, I, I expected some people to be like, well, I don't really like this, or I wish you guys would do more of that, or why did you change this thing? And uh, I, we've never gotten one. We've just gotten, thanks for the show. So glad you guys are continuing it. And, and that's about it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised. I, because there is a definite change in tone, I'm a very different kind of host than Jerry. So, yeah, but I, I guess people like it. So I don't know. Uh, we've been lucky that way. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I was kind of surprised too. I was expecting sort of like this flood of feedback saying like, "Oh, what'd you do to our show?" Da da da. da. You know, it's Aww. but no, no one did. I mean, everybody was really supportive, and then like they just simply said, "Hey, we really love the show. We're so glad you're continuing it, and thanks a lot for for like talking with the devs and bringing on the show. Thanks a lot for keeping on the all our favorite segments and whatnot." And it's like. Okay, sure. We'll keep on doing it. If you want more, if you want anything, please give us feedback. We are willing to like listen to you and then work in anything that you think is really cool. And I, what I, I was very surprised about like this, this just flood of email, just such a supportive group of community. And it just, it felt loved. You know, it's like, yay, I, I'm doing it right. You don't mm-hmm. hate me. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. I'm glad that people were kind. That's nice that the transition went that way. Uh, it seems like there's this affection and affiliation with the DDO Cocktail Hour. Tell me about how that came about and, and what the connection is there. Well, the Cocktail Hour was a spinoff. Um, there, we just did an interview with Lessa just to reintroduce like new players to with our relationship with the Cocktail Hour and Lessa and Samus. But they started on DDO Cast with, under Jerry's regime. And, um, and they decided to when Lissa and Samus got into the same kind of room together and started talking with each other, they they just seemed to click. So they decided to pull off and, and do a social kind of focus on DDO. So, um, and and from there on, it, it, it they just decided to call it Cocktail Hour. And we've been trying to, you know, we, we try to focus on news and strategy and and, and and thankfully they're 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 doing something else, which will it's more what I call like the fun part. <laughs> it art was just fun too, but in a different kind of way. But there's more of like fun uh, fun social atmosphere. I'm in a bar kind of thing, I guess. Okay, so. what do they talk about? Like tacos? <laughs> what do they talk about? Um, they they talk about they just talk about playing the game a fair bit. Like, what have you been doing? Uh, they do a lot of uh, Twitter response, so they'll ask a question like, so out there, what is the quest you hate the most, right? And then people will Twitter their answers, or if you could date any character in DDO, who would it be? Okay. And and then they'll, you know, so it's it's really like walking into a bar where everybody's <laughs> had a couple beers and they're talking about a game. And, and you know, and then they wander off and talk about some movies or some other bit of geekness um, that they're into. <clears throat> but they'll also attack uh, the, you know, like the social side of the game. They'll talk about. They did a long thing about guild drama. Uh, you know, how do you avoid it? Uh, how do you deal with it? That kind of thing. So, a little bit more of the social side of the game. Um, they'll get into. Yeah, uh, but it's fun. Like, like I said, it, it, they're like walking into a bar and listening to people talk about a game. We're a little more like uh, walking into the, I don't know. Uh, the gaming store the where everybody's at a table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little drier. They also get to say things that we wouldn't normally say on DDOcast. DDOcast is a very family kind of show. Oh. Uh, their show is uh, definitely a little more grown-up kind of show, as it were. Okay. Um, they're they're the they're the yin or yang or the as I like to say Baywatch versus Baywatch Nights. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <That's great. laughs> Interesting. I've never listened, but I've heard uh, her come on the show with you before and, and things like that. So maybe I'll have to check that out. I've heard the show before, usually during the colder months because I'm driving and that's when I tend to listen to podcasts when I'm driving. And I was always struck by how sweetly Siegfried speaks about you, Anne. How's that recording with your husband? It's it's wonderful. 
He's always like, my dearest Anne. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. He's so awesome. I mean, I, I love it. It's And we, we talk to each other that way. It's like, dear honey, sweetie pie, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and at first I was kind of shy about it. But after a couple episodes and it's obvious that we're married and I, I felt okay about it, you know, because it's like, all right, this is us. This is us, and we're married, and we play games together, and we love each other very much. And we, and when when we talk to each other online, I don't, I don't, I don't want to stop that. I don't want to tell him no, don't do that, or and like no, no, because I love it, because it's my attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, I'm very quiet, and I don't say very many things on on the show, but I I don't, I don't know. I just. I'm pleased. I, I'm very satisfied. So, <laughs> good to know. So, so I just go like, mm, yay! <laughs> it's nice that that you come on that way, and and that's how you are. I mean, there are times where um, I have one relationship, you know, with Tinsy and kind of behind closed doors, and he's a certain way with me. And then when we get on together and we record, we have totally different chemistry with each other. There are times when we have complete, like, clashes where you are so wrong. You are just wrong. You know, we, we, we clash a lot when we record, but it's not like that in real life together. And, and sometimes you can have very weird relationships electronically with people that you don't in person. So it's cool that you guys are consistent that way. Um, being a husband and wife team can be amazing because you have that person there who understands what's going on and can support you. But it can also be a source of extreme friction, at least for me. Um, Tinsian helps with the FTP uploading and the live portions of the show, and he's been really super supportive. How has this affected your relationship being hosts? Uh, let's see. Anne's pointing at me. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, I don't, yeah, we don't. You know, we don't argue about the show too often. Occasionally we disagree about stuff. In the end, I generally, you know, I like to kind of compartmentalize things. So my job is to talk on the show. And so if there's something that makes it hard or easier for me to do my job, then I like to have some control over that, like how the show notes are written or that sort of thing, because I use those to keep myself on track. And if there's something weird in there, then I, you know, I stumble over my own tongue and I don't know where I'm going and I get lost. And so I don't like that. Um, but then everything else, I really like to, you know, say, well, that's Anne's decision. You know, I'll put my input in, but ultimately she gets to decide how the website works and what we're going to have on the show and when we have guests and when we don't have guests and that kind of thing. So kind of being able to, you know, say, look, this is, this is your portion. This is kind of my portion and, and, um, keeping those lines not clear and bright necessarily, but just, you know, known and, and understood that that works pretty good in, in keeping things harmonious. Um, and I guess neither of us have a big ego about or a control issue for what happens. Uh, well, okay, so Anne likes the show to be really high quality, and sometimes I'll be, you know, you know, dear, you don't have to spend that much time editing. You can leave in those coughs that I had. I, I don't mind. And she's like, no, no, you have to sound good. I'm like, okay, all right. All right, if I have to sound good, I and, and I guess that's all right. Can I get you a drink <laughs> instead? So Stop talking. Get a drink now because I don't want to edit those 15 coughs out. <laughs> yeah, well, we get that on the show. You'll and get a little irritated. She's like, "All right, stop it. We're gonna edit this out, and you're gonna take a drink." I'm like, okay, because we do a live show. I guess we haven't mentioned that, but we we record kind of live with a, a live studio audience. Now, we, some people, um, usually around twenty, fifteen to twenty, or people will listen to the live show, uh, but then most of the people listen to it recorded. You know, vast majority. 
Yes, I would like to talk about the Ustream, which I did listen to yesterday. Uh, I was signed in, and Tinzian was signed in as Wemmick, and we listened to your show. It was really cool to, to have Ustream work for somebody. <laughs> I've tried it myself, <laughs> yeah. and it's very difficult to set up, so I applaud you that it, it did work, and you had quite a, a large audience. They were participating and having a good time. What do you think your secret is for that level of participation? Uh, networking. Lots of, like... I go into Google Plus, um, Twitter, and Facebook, and I announce it to the world like a thousand times over. And then um, knowing the technology on how to embed the stream into either Twitter or Facebook is also good. Because that way people don't have to navigate to a website in order to access that information or be a part of the, the conversation or listen. Mm -hmm. So, and and then just um, just being pushy, really. <laughs> Online. It's like, listen to us now, you know. <laughs> So kind of a thing. And then I, I try to like appeal to a lot of audiences. So like there we've got, you've got the crunchy contingent and the, and the fluffy people and, and, and the people in between. And so I try to like pull content that would please, appease them. So like a Lessa is, is, she draws a lot of fluffy people in, people who love to, to, to hear the social side of, of DDO. And, and then there are people who want to know more about the game and the development of the game, how it's going, where it's going, you know, because they're really invested into them and into the game itself and the character. So that's why we bring in um, Tolero and, and always bring Jerry back on the show and then producer Glenn. And, um, and then we also, with the segments is where we try to fill in the other stuff. So like the poetry corner and um, with uh, OCD gamer and Epic education for, for higher level players. And then um, Rebus's top 10. Rebus is one of the few segment players that's been around since nearly episode one. So it's like, we got to have him because he appeals to like, sort of like the long time players who've been there forever kind of a thing. So yeah. Tell me about the segments, how that came about. Um, that was Jerry's idea. And basically he said, listen, if you want to contribute, just send something in and he'll air it if, so long as the, the quality is good. And, and, and he really didn't tell them what to do. He didn't micromanage them. He just said, look, whatever makes you happy about the game, talk about it. And then he would, he would put a part of the show. So, and, and we've decided to keep that tradition because it's, it's been really good because people come up with the best segments that way. <laughs> It's neat, all the creativity to see that. And I guess that's one of the advantages of having a podcast about a specific game. You have that audience that loves that game and that are going to, to all be able to get all the inside jokes about that game and all the, the commentary and things like that, which is, is nice that everybody can kind of share that communally, I guess. Yeah. Ustream itself came on a little later. So he decided to switch to a live format. I would say uh, maybe... Uh, 180, 182 or something like that, and and we thought it was just a good idea because then we wouldn't have to. I, as a six really likes to tell me, I could lower my standards. <laughs> 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 so, it, it, which is a good thing for me because I can get really picky about how the show is and what it says. But if it's a live format, it's I guess it gives me a reason not to edit it as much because well, it was live. There ain't nothing true. you can do about that. That's so. True. So, um, but so far Ustream has been very interesting. I think it's a good thing that we went, that, that DDO cast went live because it just, there's a lot more involvement. People in the chat room can like respond. Um, we don't get as many live callers as, as we used to, and I'm trying to figure out why. 
maybe mm. people but we used to get live callers and we every occasionally people would leave messages and you can also send text messages to our like ddo lich line okay but but some for some reason it kind of dropped off during the summer i'm not sure so. Well, I, we never had a lot of calls I, during episode 200, which was kind of a big deal, and, and a couple others. Uh, or, or one time when Anne in the chat room said, everyone must call us now. Uh, we get some calls. But otherwise, not a lot of people call on the line. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people just are nervous about coming on live on a show and, and being unedited and, and just kind of letting their thing go. Um, some people, you know, fair number of people will. But also, I hear that the Lich Line sometimes has technical details. Some people call, and it's a little frustrating, and so they... Uh, they give up, but I don't know. Generally speaking, we just don't get a lot of calls, which is fine. Yeah, as long as people are participating in some way, you know, if they want to do it verbally or with text, I don't think, you know, however it comes in, right? Yeah, we get a lot more emails and things like that, um, which is great. Yeah, and the segments, which I don't know, it's a, it's a neat phenomenon. I, I don't know if I would have thought of it, but it works great. Other people want to do a little bit of podcasting or radio stuff, and uh, you know, we give them a, an outlet for that. Um, and uh, usually we like them five to ten minutes or so. You know, we don't want it to go too long. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, and some of them are excellent. I, I'm surprised. You know, people will be like, "Well, it's my first one, and I'm not sure if it's any good." And I'm like, "This thing's great." Uh, obviously, he's put a lot of time and effort on it. It's fantastic, and it's work I didn't have to do. So that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> and people don't have to listen to me all the time. Which, as much as I might enjoy that, I'm, I'm guessing there are people who like some variety. So. Aww. I think it is exciting for people to have a chance to be on. And I have people that ask me, you know, hey, I want to do a segment for you. I just don't know what to do. And, and I kind of say, well, if I have to tell you what to do and I create it for you, then I could just create it myself. You know, I want you to come up with something that you want to say, not something that I tell you to say. So that's that's cool that you have creative listeners who have already, you know, inspired to write poetry or sonnets about DDO. Nice. Yeah, and and that is kind of the test. I mean, some people will come to me and they say, "Well, I want to help," and I, you know, and I'm like, "Well, it's more work for me to tell you what to do and to to give you a lot of advice." I'm happy to encourage people and to say, "Yeah, I know it's great. I really like what you're doing. Please do more." I I can give people all of that they like, but um, I, there's a couple times people have asked me for help with their segments, and I you know I said, "Okay, well, I'll try," and I just usually don't quite have the time. So in the end, it's best uh, you know the people who really can go the whole distance. So when people say, I have this idea, what do you think? I said, I think it's great. You should do it. <laughs> That's my standard answer, right? And I usually do. I usually think it's great. But no matter what it is, I'm, I'm probably going to say, yeah, please. Um, you know, any effort you put in is probably going to enhance the show. So I'd love to have it. And um, and we never make requirements. It's not like, you must have your show in every week. No, and you send us your show, we play your show. Don't send us the show, uh, well, we, we don't play it that week. That's fine. There you go. I'm definitely open to that. So if any of the listeners want to send in segments about, you know, if they have a specific game they love, you know, we we often talk about what Warcraft or Rift or something like that. And the good thing about a lot of these fantasy uh, genre games are that there are comparisons. You know, if I say Cobalt, that works for about five games. And you know what you know what that is. And so there are ways, I guess, for somebody to have kind of a cross fantasy platform. Uh, segment which would be really fun so maybe i'll look into that in the future but i understand siegfried you attended PiazzoCon. i'm hoping i'm saying that right i think uh, it's PiazzoCon. yeah PiazzoCon recently um congratulations on your rpg book this would probably be a good time to discuss kobold quarterly if you'd like and if you could tell us more about that and the con experience yeah sure uh i have a friend his name is wolfgang bauer 
He used to be uh, one of the chief editors for Dungeon uh, and Dragon magazine over at uh, Wizards of the Coast and TSR. So uh, just a guy I met through card gaming, and uh, you know he's a longtime vet in the industry, and through him I got to know a lot of other people. He decided when uh, Dragon magazine decided to close its doors after many, many, many years of making D&D magazines, uh, that he would try to make uh, his own D&D magazine since he had experience with it. So he came up with Kobold Quarterly, which is a quarterly magazine since it's pretty much him and his wife that make the magazine. He has a lot of you know fairly famous uh, Dungeons & Dragons writers that work on it, but you know, he does the production and the sales and the promotion and all the kind of gritty work that goes with doing a publication. And uh, they also have a program called Open Design, which is a really neat idea, kind of patterned on the Renaissance patronage system where uh, an artist proposes a work and then people from around the internet uh, you know contribute money and in return to contributing money to get the work published they get a copy of the work and they get to contribute their own ideas to the artist and say you know I'd really like to see this or I wish there was a character named so-and-so because that's my wife's name and whatever the case may be not everything that they want necessarily gets in there it's up to the artist's discretion but uh, they have an influence in the way it's made and that's become really popular lately with like Kickstarter projects and that kind of thing. But he was really one of the first people in that realm to start doing that and have a lot of success with it. So that's that's Kobold Quarterly and Open Design. And I wrote a couple articles for his first magazine. And then more recently, um, I had some time. I, I left one of my jobs, so I had some free time. And I decided to do some serious writing for the game. And I wrote a lot of books about feats, uh, which in Dungeons & Dragons are little bonus abilities that any character class can take, generally speaking. So there are ways to customize your character to make your wizard different from other people's wizards and so on and so forth. And uh, so I did a bunch of books for those, which I had done as a fan in the past. Uh, but this time, you know, professionally published and sold them and made some money and uh, got an actual print copy of them. And so, yeah, it's really exciting for me to, to kind of say, yeah, I'm an author for, for the game. Um, this is for Pathfinder, which is an offshoot of Dungeons and Dragons. It's um, the similar rules and yes, kind yes, of a long story, that. but okay. Yeah. But it's basically D and D with a different name. People seem to really like those books. That sort of um, thing. And Tinsian's very into like the Palladium books and all the the RPG books that kind of give you those breakdown details. So that's that's nice. Hopefully, it goes well for you, and uh, there's a lot of interest, and people will will snap that up. Yeah, it's gotten great reviews and uh, been pretty successful as far as the numbers sold. Uh, it made money, which not a lot of role-playing products actually end up doing, So, especially small third-party ones. So, uh, yeah, I've been really pleased and um, almost universally good reviews for it. So that, that made me really happy, too. And uh, it got me a lot of work, actually. You know, when I was doing that, I would then I started to get more and more emails. Hey, can you write some stuff for us? Can you do some editing? Can you write this? And it's like, wow, okay, great. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. That's everyone's dream, really, doing the work that you do when you are in your downtime, you know, taking your play and getting paid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I don't think I could make a living at it, but um, it's uh, it's certainly a nice extra income, and it's it's a ton of fun to do it. Cool. Let's talk about the Dungeon a Day project a bit, which I think is really clever. How on earth did you find this, and can anyone sign up and participate, or is it by invitation? Tell us more about that. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm not... 
you know, I haven't been associated with him for very long, but it's a, a project that was originally started by Monty Cook, who's a fairly famous uh, Dungeons and Dragons author. And uh, the idea, I think it was inspired by like Jonathan Colton's Song a Day and some other artists trying to expand their repertoire by doing something on a daily basis that's creative. And in this case, Dungeon a Day offers you a dungeon room or encounter every day. So, um, you know, they map out a big dungeon. They plan a lot of it ahead of time. Uh, but then they release it uh, once a day uh, on each weekday. They put a new piece of the dungeon out there. And unlike some dungeons where, you know, you got 20, 30 rooms or, you know, it's a, a few pages, this thing is enormous. It's supposed to take your character from their very beginning to their ultimate uh, highest level triumph possible. And so it is a very, very, it would take you years probably to run through the entire dungeon um, with a typical group. And so it's a really huge, ambitious project. And also instead of just saying, well, in this room there's a chest in the corner and there's a couple orcs and there's a table, every room is kind of a complicated, creative endeavor that that has something really interesting and challenging for the players to wrestle with and, and imagine or role play about. So, yeah, it's a really ambitious project, and I got to work on kind of the very tail end of the, the, their first big effort. Uh, some friends of mine that run a company called Super Genius Games ended up taking over the project from Monty Cook. Uh, I think he's just, you know, it's a lot of work, so uh, it overwhelmed him after a while, and he found some partners to, to kind of take over the project. So they worked on it, and I game with them. I play Call of Cthulhu with um, a guy by the name of Stan who's a comic artist, but also works for Super Genius Games. And uh, during PaizoCon, he said, hey, you want to write a couple of adventures for me uh, for Dungeon Today? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Sounds like fun. Uh, I've never done that before, but I think I can do that. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd recently run a Call of Cthulhu game for them. So I, I think they, you know. I love that uh, game. It is so clever, the dialogue in it. It just makes me oh, yeah. laugh out loud. And then Tinzin looks over and goes, what are you doing? <laughs> Cthulhu just said this. Can you believe it? <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Call of Cthulhu has a long tradition. It's a lot of fun, and um, and so yeah, so we played a game, and I, I think uh, some of my descriptions and encounters uh, he thought were pretty creative. So uh, he asked me to do that, and uh, yeah, I did that, and I was really pleased. the The nice thing about that project is pretty cool because people are subscribers to it, kind of like DDOcast or an MMO. They have a commitment and a really energy for it. So every time uh, you know somebody puts something up for the site, they comment on it or they find errors in it too, you know. And uh, but but they said nice things about my my encounters, and so I was like, oh, that's nice. I didn't suck. <laughs> it's the first time writing for an adventure, so I wasn't sure uh, if I would meet up to their standard. But apparently, I managed to do that. So, um, but it's, it's yeah, it's a really neat project. You have to be a member in order to see all the stuff. Anybody can become a member. You just have to pay some money. So <laughs> yeah, it's subscription-based kind of game service thing. I see. We're getting close to ending now. Is there anything either of you didn't get to say about any of the topics above that we were talking about? Darling one? <laughs> well, sweetie pie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I don't know. Um, I, I wanted to say that um, Stan, um, he's, he's one of my favorite friends right now because he's just so funny. He's been working with, um, in, in the D&D biz ever since like uh, TSR, and then, then it became Wizards of the Coast, and then, and then um, with ha under Hasbro, and then he left to go do Super Genius Games. But um, with with Dungeon a Day, I think it's really worth it because you they're they're up to level twenty right now in terms of so you've got like from from level one all the way to level twenty in 
in all these encounters and they give bonus stuff so mm. i mean really it's a deal if you're really into tabletop gaming and and you're a dm or, or, or dm or gm that that's looking for content gosh sign up gosh <laughs> you can tell Anne's the salesman of the two of us. <laughs> yeah, I am. Sorry. It's just, when I see a good product, I like to push it. So it's like, wow, oh, this is really awesome. And it's got really great content, really talented writers. So it's not just Sig who, who's been writing this, but all, everybody, you know, in, in the, in the community. So you'll see content from, from like Monty Cook, Stan himself, probably, um, Wolfgang probably bought one or two of them in the early years. And then Bruce Cordell. And um, and of course, new faces as f who come in and write. So, so if you if you're looking for like just content to read as mm -hmm. just out of enjoyment, it's it's pretty cool. So, usually when we play, we're not really strict about following the exact, uh, you know, guide. Let's say for the suggested suggested uh, campaign and the dungeon and things, we sub things in and out and and such. So it would be kind of neat to take one of these and maybe sub it into the same level encounter at the end of a campaign and see what happens yeah oh yeah and and that's the way gaming should be i mean it, that's why you play it with other people so that you have the freedom to to have it be your game and have it be however you like it to be um instead of just following one path you know there you go we're playing keep yeah. on the Shadowfell, and it's like what maybe three months in and we've not really left the town to go look for the keep like all of our side quests <laughs> have taken us into the woods around and have nothing whatsoever to do with the actual campaign so yeah. we'll get there eventually uh, but that's kind of how he rolls <laughs> i'll just let it that's, happen that's a sign of a good game i think that's the way it should be yes well it, it makes tinsian work he has to be very creative and, and come up with this but he loves that i mean he loves to tell the story so it, for him it's it's nice to be able to just say what he wants to say and go off on a tangent so it works a thank you to Siegfried and Anne for being here. You can listen to their show at ddocast.com or find them on Twitter at ddocast. I'd like to say thank you to my sponsor, Maphook. If you'd like to support the podcast, please click on their icon at genesee.com or join the Gray Area Podcast group on Maphook. You can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, please email me your questions at genesegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.